This episode of Tub Talk is brought to you by Avast Business. With over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for all the links to the details. Right now, though, let's jump into our featured interview. Well, hello there, Richard Tubb here, and I'm back with another interview with somebody, and it's going to make a blush, but somebody that I consider a real superhero in the IT industry. Tracy Pound is the Managing Director at Maximity. She is somebody that I've known for an awful long time. She works on the Board of Directors at CompTIA, and above all of that, she is one of the strongest, most smartest, savvy women that I know who works in the IT industry, and she's also a fellow Brummie. How are you doing, Tracy? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. What an amazing introduction. Thank you so much for that. I, I think I am blushing quite a lot at that. Oh. But yes, we've known each other for a long time. And yes, we are both Birmingham people through and through. Well, I was going to say, we should explain because we have listeners uh, to Top Top from all over the world. What exactly is a Brummie? How would you explain a Brummie to people? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, somebody with a... Um, uh, an accent that not everybody in the world likes, um, but people who are very friendly, they get on with anybody, um, they love to socialise, talk to each other, and they have uh, chips with gravy on. Chips with gravy on. A bit like on. people up north, yeah. Oh, it's making me homesick for Birmingham, England. I want to go back there. Uh, <laughs> let's get away from chips and gravy, though. And so we have known each other for quite some time, and I was trying to think when we first met in this industry. Would it have been through CompTIA or would it have been even before that? I think maybe a Credit UK. Yeah, it was definitely before that. It was with a Credit UK where you and I both worked on building a standard for the IT industry. And that was back in 2004. Goodness me. So it is a long time ago, 15 years ago yeah. is, is when we met and worked together to develop that standard, which was then um, bought by CompTIA and became part of their suite of member certifications. Yeah, absolutely. So that might be a good place for us to start, actually. So we've mentioned, we've already explained what a brummy is. We've talked about gravy and chips. Let's get to the serious stuff. What is CompTIA? Who are CompTIA? And you're uh, on the, uh, the board of directors at CompTIA. What does that role entail? Okay, so CompTIA is the Computing Technology Industry Association. It's a global trade association that's designed to support people within the tech industries. Um, some of that is focused around building and selling certifications. So if you've come across A+, or Network+, Plus or Security+, Plus, that is what we build as our core and what we sell around the world. And we sell certifications to the tune of about $85 million worth a year. And that's growing. Year on year, that is growing. That money gets put into and reinvested into the membership sides of the organization. So we have uh, member communities. So there's um, a UK community. There's a new Benelux community that launched earlier this year. We've got communities in Australia and New Zealand. We've got communities in Canada and, of course, the biggest, obviously, in America because it is an American trade tech association at its heart, but it's expanding geographically very quickly. And we're looking at where we can put new communities that will help support people who work in the tech industries. It doesn't matter if you're a vendor, if you work in distribution, whether you're a managed service provider, whether you're a tech consultant, whether you work in aligned industries, so like lawyers, 
who specialise in digital law and GDPR and topics like that, it, it's there to support those people, to bring them together, not just to network, but also to further their businesses and further the industry. So we work a lot with workforce issues. How do we get younger people engaged within the tech industry? Um, how do we make sure that we keep the skills and the expertise that we've got in it? How do we grow it as a professional industry, as a profession, I guess, rather than an industry? We do a lot of work on Capitol Hill in America with advocate, advocating on Capitol Hill. So trying to make sure that governments pay attention in the right way to tech and how it develops. Um, a lot with cybersecurity, huge, huge growth area in cybersecurity. And it's needed because obviously hackers are prolific and they have such a strong foothold around the world because tech is global. Governments are local. So it doesn't, it, it, it creates quite a, an interesting um, dynamic between how do you stop people from hacking and, and sharing what they shouldn't share versus governments that want you to keep your data close to you. So that there are all sorts of issues that sort of sit around that. But cybersecurity in general is, is a huge topic. How do we educate end users? How do MSPs work to support and keep their end users safe? How do vendors and distributors support their MSPs? There's a lot of education all wound up in that. So CompTIA is there as a voice for the tech industries um, for all of those kinds of um, activities. And it's a home for people who want to be part of a community. So we have an advancing women in IT community, advancing diversity in IT. We have a solutions and support community. We have a security community. And they're there for anybody around the world to come and take part in um, having a say in what CompTIA does. So we do a lot of research as well, and that research is then delivered back out through um, analysis that's done, that's available on the website, on CompTIA.org, but also we'll go out to events. So we'll go and talk at vendor events, at distributor events, on trends in security or trends in managed service provision. And that is a very good conduit to get to different people who work in the tech industries, as well as a lot of training. So it, 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 it is a very big organization. It does an awful lot um, of things to try and help make sure that the tech industry is future-proofed and is sustainable. So I'm sorry, that's a very long answer to a very not, short question. Not at all. It's so I'm a huge evangelist uh, for CompTIA. CompTIA has made a difference to you know the industry as a whole. I, I would also say, though, unfortunately, it's probably one of the industry's best-kept secrets. So uh, as you alluded to, most people are aware of CompTIA via the certifications, which is the, uh, the business side, uh, the business arm where the money is uh, made. But they do such good work. And for anybody who is listening, into this uh, podcast and this is the first time you've been exposed to CompTIA. Uh, if you're in the UK, I would encourage you to go along or come along to the next CompTIA UK channel community meeting because you're a big part of those meetings, aren't you? And we, we have them um, scattered all across the UK. Of course, you mentioned Benelux and there's communities all over, but we're in the UK. Let's talk about the UK. What could people expect if they go to a CompTIA UK channel community meeting? Very good question. They can expect a lot of inspiration. So they can expect networking with their peers. Um, they can expect to, to learn a lot from the research that CompTIA does 
and the support that we do. So, for example, at the last meeting, we had a business genius cafe. So people could book slots to talk to an expert in finance, in HR, in diversity, in sales, in operational efficiency, and get some advice for free. So that a lot of the stuff that CompTIA does is delivered out as part of the membership. So it's a very low-cost entry and a lot of value-add once you get inside it because everything is included. Um, so it's helping people to further their businesses. It's giving people the opportunity to listen to industry experts, listen to business experts. So we had Karen Brady as a keynote speaker at the last minute, at the last meeting in EMEA um, in October. She was absolutely fantastic. And we always have somebody who's a very high profile person come and talk to the uh, people that are there to try and give them that bit of inspiration, to give them something that they can genuinely take away that will help them improve their business from the next day that they go back into their work. So it's, it's there to support people and to give that learning, that education. At the EMEA conference, which is the, um, the big conference that we have in the UK, usually October, November time, that is done in collaboration with the certification team. So we'll get people from the world of education go to that as well. And we have a big vendor fair. So it gives people an opportunity to promote what their um, solutions are. And it gives people who are members the opportunity to go and talk to those vendors, find out what they're developing, look at where emerging tech's going, what the next solutions are that are coming out. But most importantly, it's designed for people to share ideas, share information that at the end of the day helps them to um, have a sustainable, better business. Absolutely. And every MSP that I have ever worked with, those that have not been aware of CompTIA, I've introduced them. They've been slightly sceptical. They've said, oh, it seems too good to be true. But then they've gone along to a meeting and said, this is a no-brainer, isn't it? You know, the low membership fee, CompTIA does so much yeah. good for the industry. And it's a community of people who are go-givers. They share knowledge. They help the industry grow. They help one another grow. It's just a fantastic organisation. It, it is. And I get that scepticism part as well, because I was when I joined it. So when um, a credit was brought out by CompTIA, all the people that had been involved in the development of that standard were co-opted in as members. And I remember the first year, it was just hit the delete key, hit the delete key, hit the delete key on the emails that came through, because I didn't know who CompTIA was, and I didn't know what they stood for. Um, and somebody said, you know, just go to one of the community meetings because it's really difficult to explain what CompTIA is and does. Just go and experience it. And I did. And ever since that day, I've been completely 100% sold by them. They really stand up for what they say. And their ethos, their morals, the ethics that sit behind it are absolutely on point. So they give a lot of um, money back out to, to charity as well. So it's not just taking money in, it's giving back to the community and helping um, charitable organisations to grow, helping people to expand their knowledge truly of what tech is about. So it, it is, it does sound too good to be true, but it's a great home to belong to if you're in the tech industry. And I, I just love it. And, you know, working on the board, I get a very different view. So on the board of directors, so if you're a member, 
you'll see the membership and the community side of CompTIA. So that's the events that we run, that's the training that we have, it's the research that we do. Sitting on the board, you see overarching everything that CompTIA gets involved in. So we've got um, a foundation that's for creating IT futures in America, and that's designed to try and help people who are going through college education, school educations, to get into a career in tech to start with. Um, we're looking at different ways that we can deliver exams to make it easier, better, um, and as, as an experience, as a learning experience, something that people can really engage with rather than you sit in front of a computer, you look at a video, you take some multiple choice tests and that's it, you pass or you fail, to make it more real because the world of tech is really complicated these days and there's lots of different scenarios. And if you go into solving a problem, it's the route you take in, it's the, the series of events that have happened that will mean that you have to take that route or a different route or another route. And it's trying to develop an exam methodology that supports the way we actually work in real life to simulate it, to make it easier so that when you come out from an education, you are truly ready for the world of work. So you know, there's, a, there's a lot of exciting stuff that's going on at that Absolutely. level. Um, and it's great. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's a no-brainer. Um, if you're listening to this and this is your first exposure to CompTIA, go and check it out. Tracy and the whole CompTIA organization do incredible work. So uh, CompTIA.org, uh, and we'll include all the details in the show notes for you to go and have a look at. But I want to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier on um, uh, in, in the conversation there. So I introduced you at the start of this uh, interview as one of the smartest, savviest women that I know in the entire IT industry. Now, let me rephrase that. You are one of the smartest, savviest people that I know in the (laughs) IT industry, full stop. However, whenever I'm talking about women in IT, I always refer to people like yourself because, frankly... Um, there are not enough women in IT, let alone women in IT like yourself who are real uh, sort of trendsetters and inspirational to other people. Why is the IT industry so poor at attracting smart, savvy women into uh, the technology industry? Well, now, here's a, <laughs> you a very long asking, answer again. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're going to ask, uh, give, a, give a short question that's got a very long answer. There you go. <laughs> An extremely long answer, absolutely. I, I think it, it's a complex problem, which is why it doesn't have an easy solution to it. A lot of it, I think, is down to unconscious bias. So people like people like them. And I remember when I started in tech, it was back in 1984. So I've been in, in the world of tech for 35 years. And when I started was when the IBM PC first came into the market. So you've got an IBM PC, 4.77 megahertz processor, dual floppy disk drives, no hard disks because hard disks in PCs had not been invented at that time. Microsoft wasn't the be all and end all to everything. So you had MS-DOS, you had PC-DOS, um, but it was a very different world. And And because of that, when you came into the industry, there was no precedent for how people worked or what people needed to look like 
to be successful in tech. So a lot of people were very successful because there was no path already forged. And I think I, I count myself very lucky to have been able to start my career at that time when PC computing was literally starting and launching around the world. So it was an unusual point in time. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to succeed is because nobody could say to me, you can't do that. You're too young. This isn't your route because there was no predefined route through. So people forged a way forward because they wanted to make headway and there wasn't a set path to do it. And I think over my time, I've seen the industry move more towards a traditional setup, which is that as companies mature, they start to look like other mature companies. So a lot of mature companies look like white men in suits in business. And particularly as you get up into the world, into the corporate world, I think people look like that. And so you kind of follow that route through because that's where people have gone. But for women, that means that we have less of a voice now in a growing world than we had 20 years ago when it wasn't such a mature market. And I think, you know, when you look at tech, there's still a way to go in terms of maturity. Whether we'll actually get there, I don't know, because tech changes so quickly. I don't know whether it will ever fully mature because it always morphs. It always changes into something else, which is the great thing about it. You know, it never stands still. There's always something new that we can learn, always something new that we can put in place that helps to companies to be more efficient, helps us live our lives better if we use it in the right way. But I think the way that organizations grow is they follow a path. And as they get mature, they need to develop in different ways. And most people who were successful at high positions, when you look 20, 20 or oh, 15, 10 years ago, they were largely men. So there aren't that many role models for women to follow. There aren't that many role model organizations for people to look like or look at to model their own behavior. So I think a lot of it is unconscious bias because we do what we've done before because somebody's already done it, therefore it's easier, it's quicker to get set up. And I think we're kind of stuck in a rut now, which we are slowly moving out of, but the rut is that it's very hard to change people's view of what they do and why they do it because they don't realize that they're doing it. So if you look at a lot of websites of tech companies, they will have a lot of imagery that sits around men They'll have a lot of um, imagery that sits around sort of mechanical things. And girls, when they grow up, are not exposed to that kind of environment. So they look at it and they say, that's not me because it doesn't look like me. So they go a different path. And people often will go down the path that others have gone down because they want something to relate to. And to change it, we've got to get people away from doing what they've always done. So if we want a different result, we absolutely have to follow a different path. But that's a really hard thing for people to do. We don't have enough girls in the pipeline to apply for jobs. So when, I mean, I speak to a lot of MSPs and a lot of them will talk to me when we go to the community meetings and they'll say, you know, well, you're an advocate for, for women in IT, um, but I can't get any at interview. And I totally understand that because schools are not necessarily looking at unconscious bias. 
they're just looking at the number of children that they have in each class, in each subject matter, rather than themselves looking at diversity. Have I got a balanced mix of girls and boys in this class? And how do I get more girls to be encouraged to do technical um, qualifications, technical courses? And then out of those, we should get more girls and more women who want to go for those technical roles. And you know what it's like when you go to some of the industry events. We've been to so many, and there are only a handful of women that are technical that go to those. Because a lot of the women that go are, and they're vital roles, but they're marketing roles. They're administration and support roles. They're not technical roles. And there are very few technical women who will go to industry events because there are very few technical women out there. Um, so we, we have to address the fact that we have to have a different profile of company to change that bias. I don't know whether that makes sense. It's a little bit long-winded, but no, I think it, it is that unconscious bias. It absolutely makes sense. And the conversation that I have with MSPs is not dissimilar uh, to yours. However, I would say that this is one of the, uh, and there, there are many other industries out there like this, but IT support as an industry, we, uh, the companies, MSPs, are supporting uh, Joe Public, average uh, sort of uh, consumer, uh, average businesses that are out there, which is typically a 50-50 split of men and women, most small businesses, uh, men and women at that. Yet, if you look at any MSP help desk, uh, service desk across the country, uh, certainly in the UK at least, 99% of the time, it will be all men. Now, for me, yeah. from a customer service perspective, that does not make sense that you've got a, uh, a bunch of men supporting a, uh, a bunch of men and women. It should be more representative of the customer that you're supporting from, from my perspective. But I hear MSPs tell me that, yeah, they just struggle to, to recruit um, uh, women to their service desk for all the reasons that you've talked about. So what can we do now to start taking steps to change that? I think it starts at a very young age. So I think for people who are parents, then it starts with making sure that if you've got daughters, you encourage them to do the technical things. People don't have to be good at maths. And that's one of the big myths that sits around this, I think. You know, people have said in the past, if you're going to be good at tech, if you're going to study that, then you have to be good at maths. I can tell you, I am good at maths. You know, I am really, really not good at maths to the point that my dad won a scholarship to, to read maths at Cambridge University. I absolutely don't take after him. <laughs> and he tried to teach me by the shout louder method, which funnily enough didn't work. Um, but you, to have a logical mindset helps. So as long as you can follow logic, which a lot of women can do very, very easily, as well as men. Um, but it's, that is more important than the mass knowledge. But it's encouraging young girls to make sure that they are exposed to tech, that they're given the opportunity and encouraged by their parents to follow those technical routes and to know that actually it's a good industry to be part of. You know, tech is growing. Some industries are shrinking. People say we're in the middle of the fourth industrial revolution and that tech is taking over the world. In some aspects it might do, in some aspects it won't, but it is a growing industry and it is a sustainable industry. Um, so it's, it's there to be a good career for people. Um, so for parents who are worried about, you know, well, if my, if my daughter goes into tech, is she going to have a job in 10 years' time? Absolutely. 
totally, 100% she will. And she'll have a fantastic career through it too. So I think it's encouraging parents to give children the, the courage to take those technical courses from a very young age. It's exposing. I mean, Compton did some research a few years ago that looked at girls and boys who were around about five and six years of age. And at that age, they were already starting to see a difference in the way that their minds were developing. So boys were given more mechanical, Lego-type building deconstruction toys, whilst girls were given more dolls and creative things. So people's, you know, kids' minds are formed based on how they play in part. So it's giving girls mechanical things to play with, Lego to work with, Meccano to, to build, um, gaming on computers. There's nothing wrong with, with building games and doing gaming. It, it's a very good introduction if you want to go down that coding route. And it's very analytical as well. So I think it's encouraging those. And I think we from an education point of view, there's a learning point there. We need to educate teachers about unconscious bias, about how to encourage girls to take up some of those STEM subjects, because it isn't just computers, it's not just technology, it's engineering, it's maths, it's the sciences. So it is all those STEM subjects as well. Um, and we need teachers to actively encourage girls to take those courses up and we then need to make sure that that follows through into the world of work so that people who are looking for staff, when they consider how they put their job advert together, how they promote their organisation, that they are appealing to the widest range of people, not just to a narrow band that's going to encourage largely men to apply for those roles. And I know it sounds a bit harsh, but it, it is breaking those barriers down. It's just stopping people doing automatic thinking because we need some dynamic thinking and for people to make an active change on it. But it's not, it's not a straightforward thing to do. And it's going to take a generation or so, I think, to get to a point where we've got an equal number of men and women in the tech industry. But I think we will get there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've got some incredible um, um, inspirational women in tech yourself. Um, on this season of Top Talk, we interviewed Fiona Chalice, who I know is a good friend of yours yes, as well. Is. Fiona is not just one of the best sales women that I know. She is one of the best sales people that I know, full stop. This is a lady that, you know, just knows everything there is to know about uh, managed services uh, sales. Yeah. Um, we're also there speaking to uh, Claire Jenks, who is uh, helping uh, companies with design and branding. Uh, earlier on uh, um, in uh, an earlier podcast episode, I spoke to uh, Melissa Saar, now Melissa Ellis, um, who started off as an apprentice at a managed service provider, went on to join IT Glue and heads, uh, heads up their uh, uh, service team in the UK and has now moved on to Datto. So we have got already a ton of fantastic, um, you know, sort of women in IT, but it's about the next generation coming through, isn't it? And it's about encouraging um, uh, the, the next generation of girls to see technology as a subject that they want to work in. Yes, absolutely it is. That's right. It is encouraging that next generation to come through. Yes. Yeah, cool. So let's uh, go from the future and let's rewind a little bit to the past and let's talk about So I'm always fascinated when I sit down with you to hear about your path in IT. You've talked about it a little bit, um, but take us from where you first started and some of the things that you've seen change over time in the IT industry. And um, I wish we had a glass of wine while we were doing this because we have some fantastic yeah. conversations about these things. But without the glass of wine, tell us a bit more about how uh, your career in IT has taken. 
Okay, so I mean, it, it is quite a long career, 35 years um, and, and counting. But I actually started off as a programmer. So I, um, I got as far as A-levels. I didn't want to go to university. I was very quiet, not at all like I am now. Um, I was very quiet, very unassuming. I, I could quite happily blend into the background. Um, but then my first job was as a programmer. So I used to write software for estate agents. Um, but I discovered that I'm not best suited to programming. Um, I am better suited to being out talking to people. And I loved the installation part of it, you know, going to configure systems, talking to people, doing the training and that kind of stuff. And that's been the mainstay of my um, career across 35 years. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, because it gave me a lot of experience, the company I worked for back in 1984 went bust because a lot of companies did. And back then, everybody saw that they could make a quick buck out of IT. So they thought, you know, well, I'll set up an IT company. No experience in it, but I'll set an IT company up because it's where all the money's going to go and we'll be able to make an absolute fortune. So the guy that I worked for um, owned a jewellery company. It was a wholesaler for jewellery. And up above it in the offices were, uh, was where we worked. But he knew nothing about developing software, nothing about how long it actually takes to write software before you even get a hint of a sale, before you even get any form of return on that investment. So he kind of ran out of money. But um, whilst that company was sort of going downhill and me being 18 and never having worked before, nobody had said to me, you know, well, a job shouldn't look like this. It should look like that. So I didn't have a very conventional start to my career. But I don't think there are many people who ended up in their first job having to answer the door to the bailiff to come to collect the equipment <laughs> because people didn't pay for it. Um, so, yeah, I, I had quite an unusual start to my career. But that, that company did go bust. And I went to work for an Olivetti distributor back in mm. 1985. Um, and I loved it there. So they uh, had me as a trainer. And I used to use... Um, Multisoft accounts, um, SuperCalc, Multiplan, WordStar, WordStar Professional. I used to train on all of those very early DOS-based systems. And the team of sales guys that we had were brilliant, but they would sell anything. So I'd often come into my office and on my desk would be this shrink wrap package. And it was with a handwritten note on it saying, right, I've just sold this to so-and-so. Can you learn how to use it? And you're in installing it and training it next week. So I learned how to learn quite quickly. Um, but it, that's always been a, a fantastic trait that I've been able to, to use throughout the whole of my career. But that company put me through Unix training because it was at the time where we had some very early PC networks. So I remember PCNet and MSNet that was so slow that you could walk from one office to another before the information would come up on the screen that you'd asked it for. Um, so we got into Unix, into Xenix. So I used to install Unix System 5 version 3 on AT&T 3B2 machines. And I was um, a system administrator for, uh, for Unix environments as well. Um, so I did get quite technical at that time. Um, but then latterly, when uh, Novell Networking came in and Windows Networking came in, it was just a completely different world. Unix is great. It's lovely. It does what you tell it. It's command-driven. 
but it's easy to control as long as you know how to do it. PC networks just confuse the living daylights out of me because you've got so many different places to set stuff up. And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't like this. It's not for me anymore. So I got more involved in the end user side of things rather than the technical side of things. Um, so I went on from there to set up and run a help desk. So um, this was before the days of RMM tools and PSA tools and stuff like that, where if somebody had a problem, they'd pick the phone up, ring you, and you'd have to try and diagnose it over the phone, not seeing their screen, knowing full well that people can't tell you what, what they're looking at because they see what they think they're seeing, not what they actually see. Um, I've had some really funny instances. So whilst I was there, I asked somebody to send me a copy of a disc through so that I could see what was on it. So they photocopied it and scanned it and sent it to me. Um, I had somebody staple a five and a quarter inch floppy disk to a letter. Oh. So of course that was really good when I got it because I couldn't yeah. read it. Um, but that's, that's just the way it was. Um, and I was lucky enough then to go and spend eight years in the automotive industry. So I saw IT from the other side then. And I worked as an internal IT manager when one company where we had our our own team of programmers. So we wrote our own ERP system. Um, and then the second one, we had a Unisys mainframe with open reel tape drives on it in the early 1990s. You've never seen such a, a big slow machine in all your life. Um, so we had a big change program that took that onto a, so a software platform called Barn, um, which was another ERP solution. Um, so I've, I've been lucky enough to see both sides of, of technology. And then I had my first child when I was, um, when, it, when it was 2000, year 2000. And I decided I'd set my own business up then because I was working in Reading, living in Tamworth, 124 miles to get to the office. Mm. And I thought it's just not going to work with, with a young family. So I took the plunge and became a business owner. Yeah. Almost 20 years ago and have not looked back since. So now we do a lot of training, of consultancy, of business consultancy around how to use technology better in organizations. Um, and I love it. Do, I do a lot of training with CompTIA, so I'm, one of, I'm part of their education faculty. So I've had the opportunity to go and train in Japan, in Turkey, in America, in all across Europe on channel account management for, for vendors and for distributors, um, all sorts of different topics for, for speaking. It's just really varied. And, I, you know, I love what I do. I, d I don't understand why people don't like the tech industry. It's just so interesting to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, while we're sat here, actually, the reason you, you um, we, we've got a video call while we're doing this, so Tracy can actually see me smiling while she's talking about some of those historical uh, tech things. And I'm I'm sat here in the studio garage and just off camera I've got a lot of the computers and a lot of the software that you were talking about <laughs> in my retro computer collection I haven't got an Olivetti oh, wow. I must admit I haven't got an Olivetti in the collection there but that's um I've got a lot of five and a quarter inch discs and uh, a lot of the things that you talked about sort of pre-RMM days where we couldn't remote control um, people's uh, PCs we couldn't see what was going on that was a different world wasn't it doing technical support those totally times. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, tell me more about Maximity, what you're doing exciting at the moment. Just before we came on air, we were talking about some of the work that you do with Sage Accounts and Business Intelligence and uh, those sort of things. So tell us more about Maximity. 
Okay, thank you. So, yeah, we, we work very closely with a lot of our clients on a long-term basis. So I, I was telling Rick this morning that I was um, with a client that I've worked with since 2010 when they started their, their business up. So I've seen them grow hugely in that time. And I go and spend a day a week with them. And you might think, you know, well, what's the new to talk about every time you go if you're spending a day a week there? But their business is growing. And they need the support to know that their systems, their processes, their data is being put in in the right way so that they can use it in the right way, so that they can forecast and they can grow in a successful way. And when you get bigger organizations, you know, they, they tend to explode and people are doing all sorts of things all over the place. So my job is to try and rein that in to make sure that people don't go off and just do their own thing but that we've got central understanding and control of the data and the way in which it flows around that organization. So they've got 13 electronic tools. They're all linked to Sage 50 accounts. Most people think that Sage 50 is just an accounting package, but it's not. It's way, way more than that. So it's stock control. It's order processing. Um, it's project control. It can be manufacturing control as well. It's payroll. So there's a lot of data that you can have as an organization to use to tell you what's selling well, what isn't, what my margins are, what stock levels have I got, what's slow moving, what's fast moving, um, who orders what, how long does it take for stuff to come through the door. There's a lot of analytics that sit behind it if you know how to get that out of the system. But there's also an awful lot of audit work. So people typically, you can train them to do a job and they'll do it. You'll bring somebody new in and perhaps they won't get trained and they will do it the wrong way. So you have to find and make sure that the data's clean. Because if you've not got clean data in a system, you can't analyze it. You can't tell where the business is going. And if you leave that for too long, there is no way back. It's so hard to work out what the start position should be and redirect it forward. So we do a lot of work that sits around making sure people put systems together properly, that they put data into systems properly. And as they grow, that we have a method of being able to make sure that the company has overall control of where that data is. So GDPR was a big change that came in last year. And knowing where people's data is, why do they use it? What do they use it for? Where is it backed up? Companies are not technical. They're not in it to be IT companies. We're the IT experts. So we're the ones that should bridge that gap with them over things that end up being sort of slightly more technical. And then because technology changes, there we're looking at bringing in all of the Office 365 functionality. So we've got teams that you can bring Power BI into. You can incorporate YouTube videos in. So if you want to do learning, then you can do that in that environment. Um, or your files can come in under your team's environment. So you've got control of where things are, which gives you version control. You've got flow so that you can workflow things. You've got streams so that you can bring videos in. It's just, there's an incredibly um, complex set of software available now that will genuinely help businesses move forward, but not a, a lot of people know how to use it properly. Yeah. So our mission, if I can just tell you what our USP is, is to take the SH out of IT. That, that genuinely is what we're here to do, is to demystify it. It shouldn't be complicated. It should be straightforward. Businesses need to understand how to use technology 
but they shouldn't be technologists. That's our job. So it's merging those two together. Um, and, you know, we've got some fantastic customers that we've had for a, a very, very long time who do want us to go in regularly because they see that value that we bring in looking forward for their business. And I think because we, so in my organization, we're only a small company, um, but we've got a lot of experience in the organization. So if Simon goes out and does training, he's spent 30 years in the IT industry. He knows how it works. I've spent 35 years in it. Julie has been in business for years and years and years. So when she goes and does payroll training, she's got a lot of experience that sits around it. And we try and merge that experience with technology to, as if it were our business to take our clients forward um but it does make for some very interesting days yeah and so you've been doing this very very successfully for customers uh, for quite some time now but interestingly and for, for long-time listeners to this podcast all of the stuff that you're talking about is what i believe is going to be the future of the managed service industry i think managed services is going to be more about business process helping uh, small businesses to do things faster better and cheaper using automation um uh, connected technologies that sort of thing so it's incredible yeah. to see that you know this isn't new to you this is this is something you've been doing yeah. for quite some time it, it is and you know i find it really interesting I, I i've said to a couple of people recently when i worked for that olivetti distributor we had um, a team of engineers, hardware engineers. We had a team of sort of trainers, installers, um, and support people. And we had a team of salespeople. So the salespeople obviously are like salespeople in any technology business. They're designed to sell a solution. But then the engineers would configure the hardware they would install the hardware and the network and the infrastructure. Then Dawn and I would go in and we would do the installation, the configuration of the software. We would do the training of the software and we'd do the support of the software. So we literally covered it from tip to tail. And I don't understand at what point MSPs have come away from doing that training bit because that's the bit that creates sticky customers. If they can't use their software, whether that's Excel that they struggle with or Word or Sage, whatever application it is that they struggle with, if a help desk can't help them on that front, then the end user gets really frustrated. When they get frustrated too much, that's the point at which they move to somebody else. So I've never understood why MSPs don't do that training element. Yeah. Because it's closing the loop on it. So for me... You know, I've done such a lot in this area. It's a brilliant, you know, we have such a lot of work that comes through. We work with MSPs, with their end users. We work directly with end users. We get a lot of people who will call us because their MSPs can't do the training for them. But it's a huge opportunity for MSPs. And yes, there is a lot of talk these days about the fact that MSPs have got to understand business. Absolutely, they have, because that is the way forward. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think for any MSP listening to this, you know, uh, we'll get your contact details later on, Tracy. But I would encourage MSPs to, to reach out uh, to Tracy and see how that you can partner with either Tracy or a company like Maximity to provide these services because it is fundamental to manage services, educating the customer, educating the end user, lowering your cost of support. It's a profitable way of doing business. It's all what managed services is all about. It is. Yes, yeah. I agree, 100%. Yes. Now, 
We've talked about the fact that you are an undeniable uh, role model for so many people within the IT industry. But how about yourself? Who is an influence? Who is a role model to Tracy Pan? Oh, um, there are quite a few people, I have to say. Um, Fiona Chalice. Yeah. is somebody I really look up to. I think she is just, she is, as you said earlier, she's a superb salesperson. She's a superb sales trainer. Um, she's a superb speaker. She's a brilliant businesswoman. Um, Nancy Hamavik at CompTIA, who runs all the communities around the world, she is a massive inspiration for me. I've never known anybody work so hard in all my life. You're an inspiration for me. Because I look at what you've achieved and what you do, and I think that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, there are Mark Matthews, you know, I, I, his ethos, his way of working, what he's been through. When you hear people's stories of things that they've had to put up with, how their businesses have gone and how they've turned it around, I think that is phenomenal. And I find that very, very inspirational. Um, if you look a bit further afield, I did love Karen Brady's talk. Oh, yes. Uh, listening to her, she, you know, she's had such a career and really been up against it as a woman in a very much male-dominated world. Um, Richard Branson, when you look at what he's achieved, and, you know, I always sit, when I'm having a really dark day, I sit and think, well, you know, if somebody else can do it, why can't I? I just need to get my head set in the right place. Um, so there are a lot of people out there. Amy Cardell as well, who's the ex-chair of the board of directors for CompTIA. Um, as a woman, she is just a superpower. She just does so much stuff, it's untrue. Um, and self-learning and self-development, as well as a lot of giving back and a lot of energy. So th there are a lot of people, I think, that are a, an inspiration for me, people that I look up to, people who I would go to to ask advice when I get stuck. Yeah. And my husband... I shouldn't forget my husband because he's very supportive. We have a bit of a role reversal because Peter's got his own business. He's an insurance broker, but we share offices. Um, but it's Peter that stays at home and me that travels. So we're kind of a little bit back, back to front. And today, earlier on, my daughter wasn't very well. Um, so the, the school ring, ring him. They don't ring me. They ring him to go and, and fetch her because they know they'll never be able to get hold of me in a million years. <laughs> well, you are one of the uh, hardest working people that I know in the entire industry. You're always around, running around doing exciting projects. And uh, so what's next for Tracy Pan? What's next for Maximity? What will 2020 hold for you? Um, I'm hoping, so I'm trying to put the um, pieces, of, well, I am putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle in place at the minute. Um, next year is going to be a huge year of growth for us. So last year, we learned a lot of lessons. This year, we've been putting a lot of systems and control in place. Next year is growth. Absolutely, we're going to grow. So um, we're looking, we'll be looking at taking on some salespeople, taking on some more trainers um, and just going for it. Office 365 is a massive opportunity for us um, and that's where we're going to be headed in 2020. We'll, of course, keep up all the sage work because uh, there's still a huge demand for it. We'll be looking at probably zero as cloud accounting. We'll certainly be looking at business essentials as cloud accounting, as Microsoft suite. Um, but Office 365 is, is a massive potential for us. So, yes, it, it's a year of expansion planned. It's exciting times for you. And uh, perhaps we can get you back on the podcast in sort of 12, 18 months time and uh, share some of the lessons that you've learned during that expansion. Love to do that. Absolutely would love to do that. <sighs> 
Uh, well, we're approaching the end of our time. I know you're a very busy lady. You've got places to be and people to see. So just before we wrap up, uh, for anybody who's listened to this and perhaps wants to continue the conversation with you, how can they find you online? LinkedIn. They can find me on there. Just look up Tracy Pound. You'll find me very easily. Um, Twitter, uh, Tracy J Pound um, or Maximity underscore UK. Uh, Facebook, we've got Maximity page on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram as well, quite new to Instagram, so please be gentle with me on there. <laughs> um, or our website is maximity.co.uk. All of our contact details are on there as well. So I'm very happy to take phone calls from people. I like to give back too. So if anybody wants any advice, any support, they've got any questions, you can email me, tracy at maximity.co.uk, or you can ring the office, the numbers on our website. More than happy to help people out. That is wonderful. Tracy, you are one of the most inspirational people that I know in this industry, and I say that absolutely genuinely. Thank you for all that you've done with CompTIA. Thank you for all that you've done for me personally as well. I've learned an incredible amount from you. And um, good luck with all the growth plans in 2020. It's going to be exciting times for you. I hope so. And thank you very much. It's been a really enjoyable podcast. Thank you, Rick. Cool. Tracy Pound, thank you for your time. And that's all for now. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Richard here and I wanted to give a really big shout out and to say a huge thank you to our friends at Avast for bringing this episode to you. In the face of increasingly complex threats targeting small and medium businesses, yesterday's methods are no longer enough. Cybersecurity must be quicker, smarter and more reliable than ever before. Avast Business provide a range of powerful, easy to deploy security products and management platforms designed for IT solution providers and managed service providers. Avast Business offer a variety of cybersecurity products that are MSP friendly. You can choose from standalone antivirus products, managed antivirus products, cloud care for layered endpoint and network security services, backup and recovery, content filtering, email security, patch management, and a management console to easily deploy endpoint protection solutions to devices in your client networks. These solutions are all backed by the largest, most globally dispersed threat detection network in the world. If you've not checked out Avast's secure internet gateway, then I'd recommend taking a look at the video demo that Avast's Paul Fenwick and I recorded. It delivers a full security stack as a service that protects users wherever they go. With 30 years as a leading cybersecurity company and over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tublog.co.uk forward slash Avast for links to all the details. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary 
array of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.